Good morning, Avalon, and Merry Christmas. I, I can say that right. Man, I have missed seeing you in person, and uh, it's, this is our second week online, but like Pastor Jim said, hopefully next week, we're gonna be back in the building for a live service, and so thank you for your patience. COVID especially hit our staff and our worship team pretty hard, and so, um, so we're online again, but you know, uh, today is basically the new year for the Christian liturgical calendar. So happy new year. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, many of you know, you, you, maybe you grew up in a liturgical church, but Advent means arrival. And for the next four weeks, all the way uh, through Christmas, um, each week reminds us of the significance of the arrival of Jesus, of God becoming a baby. Because Jesus' birth, it was, it was a new beginning. It was, it was the end of an old chapter and uh, the end of an old covenant and the beginning of something brand new. And as followers of Jesus, <clears throat> Avalon Church, every church in the world, we get to be a people who are new and are renewed in Jesus. You know, in uh, ancient Jewish tradition, the rabbis, they would talk about scripture and reading scripture like an, an exquisite gem. You know, as you read the scriptures, you just keep turning the gem, letting the light reflect, refract uh, from the various faces in different ways, always revealing something new and unexpected every time. And so that's what we're going to be doing over these next four weeks. We're going to be taking the scripture and turning the gem. We're going to explore Jesus' arrival through a variety of perspectives throughout the Bible. And hopefully we'll discover uh, some gems that, that truly bring life to our soul and make this holiday uh, even richer because, uh, because of, of who we know, Jesus. So today we're going to begin from the standpoint of expectation. We're going to gaze at Advent through the lens or the perspective of the prophets. We're going to jump around a bit, and so I'm going to be mentioning a lot of scriptures. You can go to our website and download the discussion questions. Uh, uh, they, will be, uh, they will have all the scriptures there, as well as our YouVersion app. Um, you can just go to the Bible app, go to events, and uh, our discussion questions will be in there. <clears throat> now, the prophets. The prophets knew that the Jewish people needed to be saved. I mean, things were a mess for most of their history. And so the prophets would continue give, uh, giving out these little nuggets, these promises of hope for the arrival that one day God would send a king to save the people. So they had these glimpses of what that king was going to look like and what the circumstances were going to be. But, but the promises, <clears throat> excuse me, they were always vague and they were uncertain. So for us, you know, as followers of Jesus, we get to look back at what happened and we, we get to look back at the things that shaped us and they, they, they have shaped our hope for the future. But, but like the prophets, we still wait with expectation because we know that the God who far exceeded the original expectation through Jesus is continually working in us to conform us to the image of Christ through the power of the Spirit as we await the second advent or the final advent when Jesus returns. I tell you what, I hate waiting. Do you remember as a kid how, how long it seemed to take for Christmas morning to come? I mean, the days felt like weeks and Christmas Eve, it was like it, it, it took hours 
to go to, to finally get yourself to sleep. And uh, sometimes for me, when I was growing up during that week of Christmas, I'd sneak under the tree and I'd be shaking the gifts. Every once in a while, I would go on a, a treasure hunt around the house trying to find hidden gifts. And uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I asked my mom over and over, how many days until Christmas? I, I see the same reluctance, the same hatred of waiting in my own kids. My youngest, she keeps texting us items that she says, hey, can you just add this to my list and add this to my list? I'm like, honey, you have already added enough. It would cost more than a car to, to get all this stuff. But I can see that she's so impatient. She, she wants Christmas to come. She wants to open these gifts. She is so impatient, just like her dad. You know, whether we're waiting for a COVID test, whether we're waiting for a raise, or whether we're waiting for the Savior, Man, waiting's hard. And as kids, you know, we might have to wait for a month or so for Christmas morning, but can you imagine the Jewish people? I mean, they, they waited for centuries for that first Christmas. I mean, they had no idea how long it was gonna take or if it was, when it was gonna come, and it probably felt like it was never gonna come. And, and when they got promises or they got those nuggets from the prophets, they often had little clarity about what it was gonna look like generation after generation. That longing, that expectation that's behind all these scriptures we're going to read. They're, these are simply snapshots set in the midst of war and fear and loss. I mean, Advent for the Jews was, was about God's good king finally coming to save them, bringing salvation and freedom and justice. So how would they know when he arrived? How, how could they know who he was? Well, the prophet Micah, he revealed that uh, in, in chapter five, verse two, he said, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, and uh, that was basically a location, kind of like saying Miami-Dade, um, you, Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, he will come from you on my behalf. Now, think about it. Micah lived in Jerusalem. He lived in the southern kingdom, and he, he was alive when the nation of Assyria utterly demolished his brothers and sisters in the northern kingdom. And so he saw the awful stories of torture and destruction and separation. And in all of Jerusalem, all of Micah's people, they, they just feared that they were next. And so Micah kept warning the southern kingdom to turn their lives back to God, to stop living such self-centered and self-reliant lives. But of course, the people wouldn't listen. And in the midst of describing all this imminent destruction, Micah also shared these promises that God was, was making. And one of those promises was that one day, a king would be born in the little town of Bethlehem. And it would be a king who would save them and lead them. And this king, not, he, he was going to be born where David was born. He was even going to be from the line of David. But this future king, this expected king that they were waiting for, he was going to be even uh, better than David. He was going to be a better king. This king would be from God himself. This king would reestablish God's kingdom on earth and bring justice and peace to the world. And it was around that exact same time that, that Isaiah, another prophet, also prophesied about the future king. And he said in Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
this king would save them. This, they, that's when they began calling him Messiah. He would be born of a virgin, but nobody really understood that at the time because in fact, the Hebrew word for virgin is the same Hebrew word for young woman. So they didn't know what they were looking for, but then 600 years later, an angel comes to Mary, a virgin, and declares that she's about to become pregnant. And who is this baby gonna be? Son of the Most High, Emmanuel. Literally, God with us, God among us. That was the promise that Isaiah said. And, and Isaiah, he knew about a psalm. There was an old psalm. It was centuries old by the time of Isaiah. It was written uh, during the time of King Solomon. And it was a psalm written about this future king. Because, and, and they knew it was future because it was about the king and nobody had ever lived up to the promise of this psalm. The, the psalm expected a king to reign in perfect justice. Um, he was gonna be unlike all the kings of the other nations who would take advantage of others' weaknesses for their own gain. But no, this king that Psalm 22 was talking, or Psalm 72 was talking about, was a special king of Israel. He would lift up the poor. He would defend the weak. He would be so influential that in uh, Psalm 72 verse 10, it says the Western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. This, this future king, uh, the eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow down before him. All nations will serve him. And I'm like, is anybody else hearing the, the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, bearing gifts as we traverse afar? I'm like, as the kings of Israel came and went, they acted, they, they always acted like regular kings, like every other nation. They sought power and control. They invaded foreign lands and they enslaved refugees. And so year after year, the people longed for a king described in this psalm. But then one day after Isaiah's time, Israel, Judah, the southern kingdom, they were all defeated. There were no kings left. There were no kings to lead God's people. And it was during those days that this psalm, Psalm 72, was seen to express this language of hope, this language of restoration, that one day in the future, long after the kings of Israel were done, that God would restore Israel to it and fulfill its purpose as a light to the world through a promised king who would be just like the king. Psalm 72. It was, uh, it was in these days, these days of turmoil, that the prophet Isaiah prophesied these words, that uh, in Isaiah 9, chap chapter 9, verse 1, he said, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. And, and these are the des destroyed tribes of the northern kingdom. Um, these are basically the areas of Nazareth, uh, up near the Galilee in Israel. Isaiah continued, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles will be filled with glory. So the people know a king is coming. They're waiting. They're wondering what he's going to look like. And then you get this prophecy that, that he will be uh, from the Galilee. <clears throat> Got to remember, this prophecy was written 700 years before Jesus was born. This this prophecy was written when, when Galilee was Gentile territory. This was the area uh, of the destroyed, that was destroyed by the northern kingdom. 
This area of Galilee was now occupied with Gentiles that were exiled from other lands that had been conquered by the nation of Assyria. You know, the Messiah being born in the city of David in Bethlehem, that, that made sense. But nobody could have imagined him coming from Galilee outside of Jewish territory. That just didn't make sense. And honestly, people didn't understand how is this going to connect? Yet it was in Galilee uh, that, that this king would, would come. And Isaiah said in uh, Isaiah 9 verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Verse seven, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. It will be eternal. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This passage was our focus passage last year. This, this king, he would be God himself. This king would establish his eternal kingdom on earth, a kingdom of justice where all wrongs are made right and where all people are, are valued regardless of their race or their health or their level of prosperity. But even more, Isaiah said that when the king comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. He will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. I mean, this goes so far beyond economic security and peace and, um, you know, just all of the things that were promised. I mean, we're talking miracles. The king that was going to come from God, that would be God, was a king that would do miracles. He would do the impossible. He would heal and bless those who frankly, we're always thought to be cursed. I mean, you would think that when this king arrived, it would be so obvious, right? But Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, was like, no, it's not gonna be obvious. In fact, when the king comes, he's not even going to be recognized. Instead, Isaiah 53 says, he will be despised and rejected. He will be a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. I mean, these prophecies are just so amazing to me. Uh, they use a lot of the language from Psalm 22, where David cries out using words that are very familiar to our ears. Uh, David said, my enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones, none are broken. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and they throw dice for my clothing. And Zechariah, he, another prophet, takes some of this imagery and describes what the Messiah will be like when he's killed. Zechariah 12.10 says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. Even though the people have pierced the king, the king will forgive them and pray for them. And then finally, back to Isaiah. Isaiah 52 says, But many were amazed when they saw the king, when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. 
And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. But it says in verse 5 of chapter 53, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He's talking about the king. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, on the Messiah, the sins of us all. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal, and he was put in a rich man's grave. All of this was written centuries before that first Christmas. You know, prior to Jesus, the Jews were expecting a king. And despite what all the prophecies said, despite all this that we just read, everyone knows that kings always come in glory. Kings always come in power. Kings always come to conquer the enemy. And so that's what the people expected. Few could imagine a king like Jesus coming in humility and weakness because those kind of kings, they don't ever last, right? So while waiting for Advent, they expected, the Jewish people expected a king that was basically in their own image, powerful and boastful, someone who would be ruthless towards the enemy. But instead, what they were delivered from God was a king who conquered sin through his own death, offering salvation and hope and peace and restoration to the entire world. It was impossible to imagine. But God's chosen king was an illegitimate baby born to a poor family that was far from home. And then he was raised in enemy territory, humble and vulnerable and exposed. The first advent was so different than anyone expected that most of them, maybe all of them, missed it, just like we often do. Because waiting is difficult and transformation is slow. And Jesus' desire was, God's desire was to raise up a people so that when Messiah came, that, that, uh, that they would be a good people who were a light to the nations. But that never happened. And it's so difficult even today. So here's the question for all of us. Are you trying to make Jesus into your image? Are you inviting him to follow you? Or are you willing to be transformed into Jesus' image, an image of humility and vulnerability and sacrifice and undeserved love and righteousness? Because see, that, that's the promise of Advent, that Jesus comes to bring life through his upside-down kingdom. And it is a promise that, that has the power to transform your life and it's a promise that invites you to participate in God's work to transform the lives of others. So as we enter this Christmas season, I ask, will you submit to his promise? Will you submit to his transformation? During a season of high stress, will you pray that Jesus helps you to love even when you don't feel like it? To love when others are not loving you? Will, will you pray to the Lord to open your eyes, to give you fresh eyes, to see the people around you who you live with and work with, and to, to seek opportunities in ways that you can bless their lives? In this season, will you 
pray that the Lord will help you relinquish your ability to impose guilt and to extend forgiveness and grace instead? Will, will you seek to empower others rather than control them? See, God's desire is to grow us as a people who are becoming more and more and more like Jesus. People through whom he can bless the world. Advent is not about you and me. It's about God and his kingdom and what he wants to do. And do you know what he wants to do? He wants to bring life to you and me and the world. Will we allow him to do that? That's the question that we begin Advent discussing. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have you've come. Thank you that you fulfilled all those promises that we read in the scriptures today. We worship you. You are worthy. You are the king. You are such a different king than anybody expected, but you truly are a king that brings life. For all of us who are listening today, God, I pray that, that we, will, we will say yes to you. We will follow you. We will be transformed into your image that we might experience the life that you offer. Jesus, we need you. I pray that you will help us to become the kind of people who will bring life to those around us in this season. May Advent just be a reminder this year of what it took for you to bring life to us, becoming human, living your life, dying on that cross and rising again. It all starts with Advent. May Advent change us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.